Welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Indeed, Pete, looking forward to diving into what was once the final Indiana Jones movie. Ah, fate, fickle creature, had more things in mind. Uh, Of course, we found ourselves with a couple of weeks to fill before Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2 launches in the middle of June, and then Secret Invasion the week after that. So uh, exciting times as we count down to those shows. In the meantime, Matt, our Guardians of the Galaxy, a Volume 3 podcast awaits on the Marvel Movie Podcast feed. Uh, Just a reminder there, we'll be uh, doing a uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh, digital download code raffle. Leave yourself a review for either that podcast feed or our Secret Invasion feed in advance of that show and pete as we are recording this weekend the numbers suggesting the guardians of the galaxy volume three will have the second best uh uh second weekend in terms of uh decline from the first weekend uh, which might sound like a lot of weasel words but let's not forget let's rewind to february when ant-man and the wasp had a uh, pardon me ant-man and the wasp quantum mania had a very solid opening weekend and then just the audience dropped off in the second week this is now the opposite of that so shall we say the second best retention percentage wise so the word is out there that this is a good movie and one that is fun to see with other people uh something that pete perhaps has been on the wane for marvel as of late this as ant-man and the wasp quantumania uh comes to disney plus this wednesday may 17th and also available for you on our marvel movie podcast feed and just as the summer box office is taking off uh, just as we are looking ahead to next month with summer tv shows taking off pete let's fast forward to tier the end of the summer to august uh we can put those tiers back in because uh of ah- ahsoka will be on disney plus then our feed is live uh and it could use a little bit of love there before the august something something premiere We'll talk the uh, complete rock-solid dependentness of that date in a little bit. But yeah, check out that podcast feed. We will, of course, be bringing you our uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull uh, podcast Sunday, May 28th. That'll be two weeks from now ahead of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, which comes out June 30th. And, of course, we'll have that for you a couple days after that. Well, Pete, I guess that means for the first time since seeing it in the movie's opening weekend, I'm going to have to see the fourth Indiana Jones movie, the one with the aliens. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Um, Dimensional visitors, point of fact. uh, Pete, in the midst of much of this, particularly with, you know forward-looking tv shows and movies and so forth the writer's strike has continued um the real possibility of some dates being pushed uh for example pete i must admit news to me that andor season two has shut down i know that uh last week tony gilroy stepped away from from show running it but you know you're starting to see lights blink out here and there as uh the strike takes hold and indeed as 
writer, producer, showrunners step away from shows as uh, stalwart WGA members uh, form pickets outside production spaces, and frequently the, the Teamsters do not cross a picket line, so shows are being delayed in production, stopped in production, and things of that sort. There has been no progress. They are not meeting. Um, no boycotts called for as of yet, and I think that's important, Matt. People have been like, um, I'm going to cancel my streamers, and certainly you, you have the choice to do that. Um, you could also be hurting the financial stability that would ultimately see these writers compensated in a way that they're not right now for the the streamers. So hold off on that maybe until that uh, that is directed, if it ever is. Um, but you know, I've got to wonder, Matt. You know, do the do the June dates? Okay. Do we find ourselves in a couple of weeks talking, wow, you know, huh, it's funny that uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds has now been pushed back. Um, does this go on with Secret Invasion? Um, I think there's a real possibility Ahsoka could be backed off August. We know that this stuff has gone on before outside of a writer's strike. And I would add to that, and I could be way off base, but I, I think that the, the, the long-term story that people are not talking about is the Directors Guild's contract is up, uh, I believe, this month. Like Their contract discussions start soon as well, and the Actors Guild, I believe, is in June. There is, in my mind, the real possibility that the studios have just said, if writers are going to shut things down, guess what? Let's just shut everybody down, and let's do a hard reset um, because if the writers get a sweetheart contract, guess what? The directors are going to want one. The actors are going to get one. So I think there is a long-term picture here, and I think you're absolutely right that um, I think, just to use Disney as an example, I think Disney thinks uh, with no solid Ahsoka date, um, if there still is a strike situation going on by the last Wednesday uh, in August, oh, then maybe you say special effects need to be good for Ahsoka now coming out a month later and just kind of spreading that content out as, as the chasm is crossed and all of that time will tell, but I, I really fear that, that, that you see the fingerprints. That this is what the studios are prepared to do, particularly as teamsters are helping out in or, you know, te teamsters are sympathetic to the strike. You have, uh, you know, Fran Drescher and, uh, and the actors guild, um, showing increasing sympathy and so forth. So I think we're in for a long fight here. Either way, Matt, it will be interesting. But let's flash back to 1989, five years after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom for the end of the trilogy. <laughs> Indeed. And I feel like this was the first Indiana Jones film I I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I feel like I had the opportunity to go. I mean, this year, let's just pause for a moment in context, Pete. 1989 in film. Okay, tell me which of these, in, in the top 10 highest grossing films in 1989, tell me when we reach a, a dud. I don't mean something that like, you know, there, there's, there's greats on here, there's goods on here. But to, Pete, tell me when we reach the stinker. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Batman. Back to the Future 2, Look Who's Talking, Dead Poet Society, Little Mermaid, Lethal Weapon 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters 2, Born on the Fourth of July. 
is this the best summer of movies? And no, I mean, they're all they're not all summer movies, but that's a heck of a top ten. Interestingly, you left out the other big Paramount Pictures tentpole that summer, the one that lost out for Shakari. You're of course referring to Star Trek V, which uh, I, is nobody's favorite, but I think add to it that um, add to it that they couldn't get ILM to do the special effects because of some of these other movies. Add to it that I mean, my where in the calendar do you compete against those? I mean, I'm not going to click on every single one. Indiana Jones was what a May release. I just had that in <laughs> front of me. Um, Batman was the summer, and that that was. To be honest, Pete, I'm surprised that Batman was not number one. That's kind of not how I culturally remember it. Although, a Batman one versus Indiana Jones three, I totally get it. But I mean, I don't know where Star Trek five would have competed that year, especially you know, just off the top of my head, a bunch of these are spring summer movies. Um, them's the breaks. We start with the franchises first, last back, of course, before. You know, not counting a prequel as a movie um, before the uh, Dial of Destiny de-aged sequence to start that film. Utah 1912 with the Boy Scouts and River Phoenix, R.I.P. Yeah, I feel like this opening captures for me how I feel about the movie in general, which is this is a fantastic adventure of a movie but something is a little reverse engineered and you know of course Raiders of the Lost Ark conceived to be you know a B movie serial made by two guys at the top of their game and not exactly slumming it but like they're rolling into AAA baseball and hitting some home runs they knew that they go a little bit outside that uh template make it a bit darker grow up with the audience etc for Temple of Doom that gets a certain amount of of flack you know upon release so this movie it very much was let's cap the trilogy and third time you know third time's a winner and things of that sort i don't know why it's never completely i don't know why i've never completely loved this perhaps it is somewhat somewhat after the fact through the lens of the 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 sad death of uh of river phoenix and all of that but again this is a fun little adventure maybe part of it is i never wanted at least as a nine or ten year old, I never wanted the origin story. I just wanted the the man as is. I don't know, but we get, you know, Pete fingerprints here of Lucasfilm. If nothing else, we get things you've always wanted to know, like Snake Fear origin unlocked, and <laughs> Harrison Ford scar um, right. unlocked, and whip use unlocked, and all of that. For me, it's about seeing River Phoenix, who, let's be honest, would have had like all the roles that went to DiCaprio and, you know, guys of that age, Depp, um, ape Harrison Ford's mannerism, you know, silently grabbing the heavyset Boy Scout. And then, you know, like you said, to tick off these uh, details about the character we know later in his life um, to, to do them through his performance and to have this 
entertaining. Okay, you know, he he knows about um, archaeology and MacGuffins and the chase and this gang that's uncovered the cross of Coronado led by proto uh, fedora and leather jacket guy (laughs) who, you know, just randomly decides to give a teenager his hat. Um, But it strangely works. And, you know, you send the, the comic relief kid for the sheriff. It turns into a horse and a train chase, you know, this traveling, uh, you know, menagerie circus carnival type thing. Um, you know, that there's one or two goofy effects like the, the giant snake in the water in the one tank is a little much. Um, but yeah, we, we come to understand the, the, the things, the backstory about the, the character, right. Ultimately running to, uh, the home where, you know, dad is not giving, his son, the time of day. All right. Immediately understanding the relationship there. Someone we're going to learn is the teacher of medieval literature. The one the students don't get. Um, and then Panama hat wearing guy in the white suit out there. He's the rightful owner of the, the cross. We just went on this mini proto adventure for, um, leading us to uh, the Portuguese coast in 1938 on the SS Coronado. I'll add as well this opening here, uh, at least for me, tied to what I guess would come out four or five years later in what was called the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And since Please don't. Well, those, those, are, those are my crystal skull. <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> here, here's I'm, the thing. I'm yeah. No. No apologies for enjoying the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, I've seen way too much of the Indiana Jones Chronicles, and I'm never getting that back. Here's here's the curious thing about that. I mean, first of all, the show, a Lucasfilm saying, what if we could extend this property to television, which Pete, I think, would go on to be a, a good uh, philosophy for Lucasfilm. Uh, to say the least, you know, obviously, you know, Clone Wars and then all the uh, the Disney era stuff. What I find curious about the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which, by the way, as a twelve year old, I did not love. Um, kind of, you know, quickly the rose, the, the 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 bloom came off the rose, and so forth. Um, later on, so that was like that show was on from ninety two to ninety four, um, then. By 1996, it was re. It, it had always been built to be re-edited together in a different way, and then it got re-edited as 22 television films called "The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones." So I just mentioned that, Pete. I don't know if the edit somehow is better. I also don't know if in 2023, is it a good show in terms of like you know some shows we sit there and you get your full focus. Some movies, you know, uh, uh, similarly. Other shows, you're like this is a folding laundry show. And you might be like, oh, that was a fun little adventure with Pancho Villa and things of that sort. I don't know. And here's why I don't know, Pete, because it's not streaming for free. The original show is not streaming, period. The re-edit called The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones is, you can get it 
you, you can buy it digitally, but it's not streaming on some sort of place where either Paramount owns shows, if that's the home studio for this, or Disney owns shows. It's not streaming for free. So it's just weird. It's just this weird thing that I think of that I was thinking of as we got the prologue in this film. The only um, TV show we're going to recognize in this franchise, in this series, is going to be the one they need to be making about uh, Short Round with uh, Keiku Kwan. But anyway, Matt, uh, Panama hat here. Uh, turning around the famous line about the cross of Coronado uh, belonging in a museum that Harrison Ford, the actor playing Indiana Jones, belongs in a museum. Matt, do you know at what age he was told that? Oh, man, I'm going to go ahead and guess. An old joke by, by an older man. I'm going to guess 47. Oh, so you had his age, the year the movie was released. So good job on you. Okay. okay. Wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was 46, uh, closer to 45 when uh, they made this film. Okay. Um, for uh, double your money, Matt, uh, how old was um, Sean Connery? Um, when they made this film. Well, I do recall having read that he initially said no because he was only 13 years older. So I'm going to guess a little math here about 59 or 60. He was 58 wow. years old. Okay. So Harrison Ford is only eight years his junior. Um, but it, it works. We, we buy it. So, um, so just for reference, in Daniel Craig's last James Bond movie, he's about 52 or 53 while making it. And you're telling me that that you're telling me that Sean Connery was a couple years older than that in this in which he played the father of American Indiana Jones uh, port. Uh, yeah, the father of, of Indiana Jones as an American James Bond type. That's kind well, of mind blowing. Don't forget in the in the early '80s. I want to say same time, um, you know, differential from Craig's uh, age to Connery's age. He made that not a affiliated James Bond movie. Oh yeah, um, never say never again. The Thunderball remake, which. I feel like James Bond aficionados are supposed to not like. I, I I feel like, I mean, look, if you watch Thunderball, then never say never. Man, I mean, come on, it's it's eminently watchable. You got Bond back, nineteen eighty three. Kim Basinger, like, come on, Uh, Maxwell Seedow, all right. But this is a man a couple of years away from having having done a <laughs> James Bond not James Bond movie <laughs> um now relegated to to being the dad and granted there's some action pieces he participates in but you know yeah wither 58 being old but then again we just had an old joke about an actor 
who uh, when the movie came out was 47. I'm 47 now. Uh, it's crazy. Also, too, at this point in the plot, I know we've gotten kind of I, I don't know whether Sean Connery was actually on set in the Utah interior portions there certainly we hear his voice so it's kind of like this notion of you thought indiana jones movies were a big deal when we got han solo uh how about a third one with han solo and james bond and the fact that the story here is rolling out you know not fully seeing him and he's not fully engaged in his son's life and <laughs> in, in the prologue part and then you know dad has disappeared and there's kind of this you know he's left the journal and there's kind of this um this a i think appropriate use of you know harrison ford is the star of this movie we're not doing a you know jack nicholson is the second most important person in batman starring jack nicholson and the mr mom guy but also jack you know we're not doing that um but and, and so the point being the story here is a giving indiana jones center stage and b giving sean connery like sean connery is coming if only we can find him yeah, the shadow of his character looms so large. Everybody knew he was in this at the time. It's not like, oh, my God, they went and got him to play the dad. I can't believe this reveal. So by the time we're back at school here at Barnett College, OK, Indiana Jones, Professor Jones telling his uh, enwrapped classroom uh, that X never, ever marks the spot that in a few scenes it will literally mark the spot um and gives the cross of coronado that he's looked for all of his life to marcus reintroducing that character to fleeing uh academia um because he somehow has an office that's in the boiler room at this college uh with the package from Venice, only to be scooped up outside by uh, the the men of soon to be revealed high society contributor Walter Donovan, who we eventually find out is a Nazi sympathizer. If Pete, you can imagine there being secret Nazis in our midst. Uh, to go back to the office for a second, I feel like it's in line with the character of Indiana Jones that, you know, sometimes he cancel cl cancels classes for a couple of weeks because he's far off, you know, in, in far off reaches and so forth. How's he going to get, how's, how's he going to avoid being noticed? Part of it is, you know, hey, no, 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 you can take my office. I'll use another one. I'll use auxiliary room B down the flight of stairs next to the boiler, that sort of thing. Um Within the story, though, uh, we eventually head to Venice, which uh, Venice is evergreen on film. Like every single time a movie goes to Venice, it's like, ah, Venice. Yes. You know, where where James Bond has been many times. Um, and it's just Venice is always so delightful on screen, despite the fact that it's, you know, kind of a dubious place to inhabit long term. And who knows where we're at in a couple hundred years and all that. But for now, let's enjoy the evergreen beauty of Venice. Everything that leads up to this, okay, the introduction of John Williams' grail theme, okay, uh, going back to Indy's house, and then he goes to his dad's house to find it ransacked. Oh, wait, I had the diary, which had been sent to me. 
Um, the the movie's other subtitle could have been the the quest for dad, the search for for more dad, um, because he's the missing project leader. They they grab the the wrong Jones. Um, to now, Matt suddenly we flip the script that Marcus Brody just kind of like exposition in the original film comes along with this and is somehow turned into a strange form of comic relief. And uh, I at least recognize Dr. Elsa Schneider as the weakest love interest in the series. No surprise, a turncoat. Um, so many thoughts here on Elsa Schneider. First is when I was in my teens, I got a book called the films of Steven Spielberg and, uh, read how she's a bit of a, she, she her presence in the film. So it's argued in the book is, uh, somewhat as part of a larger Oedipal theme, seeing as how she is, uh, intimate with uh both uh doctors jones and all of that i don't know that i completely buy it as like a pinky out like full you know literary analysis but i see the point here um and pete for whatever her shortcomings as a character might be the fact that uh the fact that the actress allison duty has the scene which i'm sure we'll discuss in depth in a little bit with you know real rats on her head and clawing and whatnot you get you get boku points from me if you're gonna if you're going to act through, yeah, we're going to put live rats on you in this sewer set. Well, listen, she's the only love interest to not return or marry the director in the series. So, yeah, I, I think we know where she uh, she sets up. But all right. She she did some stunts with rats here. Petroleum rats, no less, Matt. Uh, under the library, this converted church where we find the giant X to mark the spot. Uh, nice lost ark Easter egg there. Apparently, other Nazis are not aware that he had already found that. I, I do love the librarian gag here as they get ready to smash the X and the whole, you know, mm -hmm. like stamp, boom. What I mean, it, it, it's just it's just delightful. For as much as I would like, for as much as I in twenty twenty three would like to find some faults with this film, in part because, as listeners know, in the process of fully seeing Temple of Doom beginning to end in one sitting for the first time as an adult, in preparation for the podcast a couple months ago, you know, such such a strong movie from beginning to end. I feel like for me, it retroactively because this is the first this is the strongest movie of the three from my childhood last crusade the strength of temple of doom retroactively kind of takes a few points off of last crusade which i don't know if that's fair but that's that that's that's where my head is at but anyhow i love this i love the whole librarian gag here the notion too it's a very indiana jones notion that you know right beneath this you know uh, somewhat pedestrian place i mean yes it's a beautiful church turned into a library and all that but the secret tombs beneath and so forth. Um, and you know, the rat sequence, there's fire, there's etchings. There's just the whole, this whole portion really is fun. 
the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword here, uh, Kazim leading them, um, you know, the escape from the crypt and uh, to the boat chase here. Got to think that uh, in 1988, it was difficult to shoot exteriors that would look like the 1930s. Um, but ultimately, this chase uh, winding up in front of a propeller and the gambit here, you know, tell me what I want to know, where my dad is. Well, no, I'm, I'm ready to die. Uh, are you ready to die? Oh, no, you're not. Okay, now I'll give you what you need to know. Yeah, the boat chase is fun. It, and it's funny, I had not stopped to consider that the boat chase might be difficult to film in 1988. Um, but it, it did strike me, particularly in a, you know, in a, in a, I won't say post Mandalorian, but, you know, with, with all this stagecraft LED technology, like fine portions of this movie actually filmed in, you know, national parks in Utah. Okay. Got it. Um, towards the end of the film, when we're in Petra Jordan, I mean, it's just so, so beautiful, so on and so forth to find out that like the, the, the final shot was filmed was second unit filming in Amarillo, Texas. There's just, there, there are just these moments where you go, my goodness, Pete, back in the day, they had to shoot all these things either for real or like with miniatures that nonetheless were real, just, you know, crafted on a small scale. You just couldn't be like, I don't know, have them stand over there, then computer. Um, so again, to have a to have a boat chase like this, uh, it looks authentic because back it, then it they used to do it. differential, man. I mean, like you, you can get boats that are going to look of that era, but careful in terms of what's going to enter the viewers field um that's not going to take them out of it you know you you look hard enough and you're going to find anachronisms um but with the etching that they make from the second part of the tablet there from the night in the crypt learning with the diary that the place they're looking for that they've got to start to get them to the Canyon of the Crescent Moon is in Alexandretta. Um, and the direction from Kazim here that they need to head to the castle of Brunwald on the Austrian German border and somehow infiltrate it, which is as simple as changing outfits with Dr. Schneider. Um, also, too, uh, you know, particularly watching this portion, I'm just aware that Spielberg is a handful of years away from shooting, of course, not only Jurassic Park, but Schindler's List. And the notion the notion that for a time in his career, kind of Nazis couldn't be treated as anything other than kind of, you know, the full through the lens of the full horror of World War II. And I don't necessarily disagree. I just want to point out that a couple of years for Schindler's List, he's using Nazis as they're used in this film. And we're going to get to 2008 eventually when uh, when there is uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where Nazis are back there too. So I hope it doesn't sound like I'm trying to deflate Spielberg's view here. Just, just that it is this is amidst a, an evolving view on what he wants to bring to the table for this kind of movie versus more serious movies. He's about to enter his serious phase and all of that. 
Um, so again, part of that evolving artists conversation. Yeah. So this rescue turned capture turned escape at which we learn that not only uh, is Elsa uh, a Nazi, but that Walter Donovan, who began us on this sequence, is um, really leading them to question everything. So now we've caught up, we've introduced Sean Connery, we've established, as you've said before, that uh, both Doctors Jones have been intimate with Dr. Schneider. And now we put them together proper in the adventure in a pairing that, you know, um, Henry Jones is constantly apologizing to his son, despite the fact that um, he seems to believe that he's right, that he's trying to do the right thing. And, uh, it always seems to work out somehow. Also, too, in retrospect, I mean, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery are so great together on screen. I would infer just because it seems Harrison Ford is a pretty low-key, humble kind of guy that probably he was just fine, you know, sharing the screen and sharing the scenes, you know. Or if anything, it was like, oh, we're going to do another one of these Indiana Jones and I'll finally be... I'll finally be rid of Indiana Jones, just like I'm rid of Star Wars, thank goodness. Uh, funny how life takes twists and turns. Um, but here's my larger question, Pete. Why didn't Harrison Ford and Sean Connery make anything uh, together again? I don't even necessarily mean Indiana Jones. I know Sean Connery was asked to be in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and he declined. Um, just where's your, you know, mid-90s, I don't know, John Grisham uh adaptation or something like that with harrison ford and sean connery why why didn't we get more of this i don't know whether they like they had to have enjoyed working together um yeah it, it seems too logical was it considered too iconic that we get them together again and it somehow undoes their work here i don't know i mean the it's not goofy. The the playfulness of the escape in the in the fire, you know, having having dropped the the lighter and you know the the Nazis on the other side of the fireplace, and then um, the the sidecar of the motorcycle and everything there, and then just the the sheepishness of our protagonist in his father's presence you know maybe the greatest challenge he's ever faced you mentioned the playfulness you know worth mentioning this is the first indiana jones movie uh conceived under the whole like i'm assuming it was rated pg not pg-13 i must admit i don't have it in front of me um but like given all the to-do of a lack of a PG-13 rating being available for um, for Temple of Doom and whatnot, like, I would agree the playfulness is wonderful and it's iconic and appropriate. It, it does feel a little in the shadow of, like, hey, we need to hit a certain kind of tone and we need to avoid a certain kind of tone because people were upset last time. 
I don't know. Um, like I said, I, I think the film plays it a little too safe. I mean, we do get the uh, Derriger, uh, Indiana Jones gross out moment late in the film where Donovan drinks from the wrong cup. But other than that, it it feels like, all right, let's let's hit the greatest hits. Let's hit the classics and, you know, just sew this this puppy up. Um, there's there's no risk to this film, which obviously the first one had and, and the second one greatly advances. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll make no apologies for Temple of Doom being my favorite to this point. Um you know, but in the meantime of the uh, Castle Brunwald sequence, we have uh, Brody heading off to the Middle East where he's met up with Sala. And it's going to be interesting when you lay the five movies down that Sala will be the, the one, the sidekick we get the most of um, with his return in Dial of Destiny. But in Eskedron here where they're meeting up and we've been told by Indy, well, listen, Marcus speaks all these languages and he's he's maybe even got the grail already. And then these super obvious Nazis come to pick him up and Saul is trying to spirit him away and can't. <laughs> I also feel like there's something uh, delightfully um not even of the time. There's just something kind of delightfully uh, British and American in terms of like, no, 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 I can handle this. I don't understand the culture or the language or the people, but uh, yeah, I could, I could figure it out. Um, despite the fact he's having trouble, um, he's having trouble figuring it out. Pete, are are we at the, the, the Zeppelin portion yet? Because I have to say I have fond, fond memories of that. Well, the, stopping at the end of the motorcycle chase at a fork in a road, Matt, we go this way. Oh no, wait, we need to go back to Berlin here. We need to go into the belly of the beast to keep them from, uh, burning the book that we need. The, the diary here that winds up getting the autograph of the antichrist. Um, yeah, uh, interesting to watch that scene through the lens of uh, you know book bands are back in vogue now amongst uh, amongst some folks. Um, I think if nothing else, you know, well, clearly this scene was not made to be forward looking. It was meant to be kind of you know historical in nature. It you know taking place in the past and all of that. But um, this is a scene that definitely cut cut through to modern times and, and perhaps reminded us a, a, a logical extreme to which uh, book bands and the like must always be headed. We know that there's Nazis in the dial of destiny. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of actions they ascribe to them in the 1960s and how that's picked up by a current audience. Yeah, I suspect it's probably there's probably a lot of potential to have subtle social commentary to have, you know, Nazi remnants in the 60s saying, hey, we can bring back the good old days, obviously within the 
context of Indiana Jones with with uh, you know what I'm assuming is a time travel component or rewind component or something that is the dial of destiny but um yeah it it'll be interesting um I do feel like I'm more than fine having Nazis as the baddies in most Indiana Jones movies um so I would politely disagree with the Spielberg of the early 1990s um and I would agree with the Spielberg of the 80s and the 2000s who who was okay using Nazis as villains Pete I feel like they're perhaps predisposed towards being treated as villains I think so and it'll be an interesting conversation when we look through it through the lens of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull but that Zeppelin sequence as you mentioned here uh punching uh Colonel Vogel out the window um Indiana Jones in the disguise here, which leads to them having a quiet moment before it's turned around and they need to steal an airplane to escape. Um, <laughs> Pete, my brain said, now I will call this a high flying portion. Of course, they're literally high flying. So thanks brain for not being subtle. Um, but it is a fun bit of story. You know, the whole no ticket thing. Um, escaping as you say in the plane when we when the plane ends up on the beach it feels vaguely james bond it feels like james bond retired where well we need the gadget to save us from the plane uh you know or from the the planes pursuing us uh the only gadget you have is a uh, is an umbrella and that whole portion is a lot of fun uh i think no notes there it's just it's a lot of fun again i don't know how consciously it is to be like a james bond gadget saves the day a found gadget things of that sort but it definitely is the the wily older generation knowing how to deal with the situation to have the umbrella be on his suitcase from the start and and now to have that be the thing that saves the day and dad saves the day not indian jones as we would expect uh all works to send us into the final act here in the Republic of Hattay, uh, where the King, uh, he likes the Rolls Royce Phantom too, even likes the color as Kazim looks on. Um, yeah, particularly as we, as we head to the more desert climbs here, um, you know, the, the, the tank chase is fun, is, is super fun. Uh, not to be confused with the tank truck from, uh, was it the, yeah, it was the first one. It's the second one. That Nazis. Um, it, it's a fun bit of story here, including the fake out death of Indiana Jones and people looking over. Again, it kind of, I'm sitting here, Pete, wrestling with the idea because this is one of the first movies I had access to on VHS, which means I've seen this movie a ton relative to some older movies, perhaps even some later movies is the fact that is the fact that a lot of the beats in this film feel familiar. Is that because I've seen it so much? Is that because it's part of this Indiana Jones, star Wars go back to the old kind of style, but when it's done at its best, it feels new because, you know, I don't have, you know, I, I don't have Buck Rogers stuff memorized, so Star Wars feels ever fresh, that sort of thing. But this is the third film, so it kind of feels Indiana Jones familiar. Is it just to 
it's a trope we've seen in other places. Oh no, they died over there. Oh no, they're pulling themselves up over here. Again, it's delightful. I'm not delighted. Where's my head at? I think it's a super strong sequence, particularly after the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword attack. They're thwarted. Okay, these righteous warriors unable to stop the army of evil from acquiring the thing that could uh, let them take over the earth, much like the plan was with the Ark. So we're, we're back to, you know, appropriately retreading that in a series about an archaeologist, how these uh, artifacts would be used for evil. Um, and to have Brody as a hostage, to have Dad become a hostage here, trying to get him out of this tank. Um, and then, all right, so Indy's going to hop on a horse. It's the low-tech versus the high-tech. It's good versus evil. It's Indiana Jones fighting Colonel Vogel here in and around this tank. The, the near misses of, okay, we're going to try to shoot him with the, the side cannon of the gun, and then we're going to stuff a rock in that, and we're going to smear him against the, the side of the, uh, the cliff uh, before we're now heading over a cliff and to have the hat come off, as you mentioned before, the, the fake out has the father lost the son and then before the trauma that's going to come in the uh, very final part of the film here, the the realization that the characters do and can get along. Again, it's very kind of apt storytelling in terms of this this crisis, this near death for Junior um, being the thing to kind of really uh, bond the two of them together. Um, I have to say I'm completely every single time I see this movie or every single time I see or hear something about uh, the lost city of Petra, um, the notion that they're actually filming in this real place as we, at least for the, the exterior, the interior doubtless is a soundstage, but you know, just this, this city that's carved out of the rock and so forth as we head there, it looks <laughs> I mean, I guess, Pete, I watched this movie many times not knowing it was a real place, That that uh, as I think it through. But just the notion that it looks so impossibly, kind of, or rather, unimpossibly real, and the fact that it is a real thing in this real world and so forth. Um, but still, you can have an Indiana Jones movie go there, and it feels authentic to that, you know, half step, half step over from reality that that is the Indiana Jones series. Um, it's just it such an... Good night. What's that? Was used for Moon Knight. Yeah. Um, but just, again, just just a wonderful, wonderful location. Crescent Moon Knight. The canyon <laughs> of the Crescent Moon Knight here. These, these booby traps. The thing that, uh, again, contained in the diary. So Dad was the, the key the whole time. You know, the, the, the uh, saws that decapitate all these soldiers that they can't get by the first one uh so how are you gonna make indiana jones do the thing he refuses to do you're gonna shoot dad 
okay he's got to go get the cup now it's the thing it's the only thing that can potentially save his father okay so the the penitent man must pass and then it's a spelling bee uh booby trap (laughs) and then it's a, a leap of faith in 1989 uh computer graphics um yeah and each of those kind of really great gags i know that part of the discussion for temple of doom perhaps not our discussion but part of the contemporary discussion was it wasn't necessarily like a ton of archaeology it was like archaeology brought us here and now there's people that eat eels and snakes and you know kind of gross out stuff here though i mean if you're going to get action archaeology you know let's acknowledge this is not a uh, an archaeological documentary but um indeed the penitent man bowing oh that's how you don't get your head chopped off and then spelling things out but wait also, make sure... also got a like somersault to to not get sawed in two <laughs> let's not leave that out you don't just duck um you know and the cgi on that one's not exactly awesome either um but but yeah that that the spelling the, the the step of faith and so forth um and somewhat similar to the first film you know we, we discussed that the criticism for, for me in the first film is indiana jones takes largely a back seat at the end that's not fully the case here but kind of the notion of all of this ends up in a room um don't get me wrong we're about to have just this wonderful notion of it, this is the cup of Christ, the cup of Christ. No, you know, the, the cup of the son of a carpenter and all of that. It's elegant writing. Is it elegant uh, movie making a la, you know, the, the big uh, rock ball or the giant temple and temple of doom? No, um, I, I'm okay with that. I, I do feel like overall there's a little from, from, from finding the night to the very, very end riding off in the sunset. I feel like there's a little bit of a, like we're not ending on the highest high. However, it's all working for the story. It all is successful. So again, I don't know what my criticism is, but this is one that definitely does go back to seeing it initially where it's like, this is definitely the end and it's not the highest ending ever. Finding the Grail Knight that survived all these years here and then, you know, the 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 current knight indiana jones uh asked to vanquish him and of course he's not going to do that and then right behind him are elsa and donovan so all right let's get down to it you you have to choose and that the wrong one is chosen that it's chosen poorly and donovan suffers the consequences to then use our brains well what would the the cup that caught the blood of christ really look like okay as you mentioned before the the carpenter aspect so of course it's wood and uh this is going to be the thing that saves dad but then it's it's the greed it's you can't take it past the seal that's the cost of eternal life you got to stay here forever you want to live forever well it's it can't happen on your terms so the nazis would have never been allowed to enact the nefarious plan but it leads to the moment where both characters where 
Indiana Jones, but through his father's influence, uh, letting go of this as we're simultaneously letting go of this character for what we believed was the last time. A, you rightly highlight the kind of destruction portion of the story, which I had, which I had glossed over. That is a nice kind of action climax. Uh, B, I will mention, it always sticks with me, just that great, what's got to be just some latex and, uh, and, and some, some baking powder and some vinegar, you know, when they, when, when the grail is poured mm-hmm. on dad's wound and whatnot, you know, it's, it, it's such a simple, I, again, I think that most people really holds up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like most people could do a, a, a real cheap version of that with plastic wrap and baking soda and vinegar, let alone have access to some flesh colored latex, et cetera, et cetera. But it, you know, it, when it works, it works, it works. Any of these effects from any time, if it, when, when it's perfect, it's perfect. Um, I think that part of what I find a bit frustrating about the ending, and I'm just reflecting on it now, is like it's something that is part and parcel with the world of Indiana Jones because it, for as much as I said before, it's not like our reality. I think it's always meant to return to our our reality in terms of like this is the third time that Indiana Jones has almost gotten the thing that's this incredibly super impressive achievement in his field and something that would be renowned the world over but he never quite is able to bring the big thing home um maybe that and and look don't get me wrong if your intention is to say like with the other two movies he's not finding the special thing that's going to forever change humanity now that, that he really is coming back to a version of our world where indiana jones exists but it's not kind of an earth shattering find so be it. But I, th- I think part of me does feel like, you know, it's right there where he could have been the most famous archaeologist of all time in his world. Instead, as you say, Pete, the lesson there, sometimes you have to let go. To lead us to literally riding off into the sunset here, Indy, Dad, Sala, Marcus Brody, in the belief at the time when you're watching this in the theater that that was the end. Uh, and, and Pete, in my belief, prior to rewatching Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in a couple of weeks, in my belief that that's where they should have stopped. Now, I do have very, very high hopes for uh, Dial of Destiny, um, but certainly it's been a long time coming from that ride off into the sunset to anticipating more great Indiana Jones. Well, what with the most recent trailer that I think really allayed a lot of our concerns now listen there there may be what people perceive as missteps to like the film we're gonna discuss next time um but that'll all ultimately come out in the wash matt we did receive some feedback uh there was uh, somebody who responded to the links i put up to our first two um Indiana Jones uh, podcast episodes on uh, Reddit. So only thing I got for you here is uh, skeleton underscore warrior as far as a name, but got his permission here to use this on the podcast. He said he was browsing the Indiana Jones subreddit earlier and saw the post. Uh, he loves Temple of Doom as well. Easily his favorite, though he loves Raiders too. 
and asked how we rank them. For him, it's Temple of Doom, Raiders, Crystal Skull, Last Crusade. Um, controversial for Crusade to be at the bottom, I know, he says. Uh, but I enjoy them all to varying degrees. I hope DOD Dial Destiny is closer to the first two. I feel we haven't had a truly intense, breathtaking indie film since Temple of Doom. Uh, I would welcome Dial of Destiny. Uh, I would welcome it to be breathtaking. I would welcome it to be better than Last Crusade, which again, I have no complaints about, even though I've complained a little bit. I'm kind of in that, you know, it, it, it's perfectly wonderful and I don't know where I would improve it. it Pete, it's not like there's a poorly CGI'd, uh, uh, swinging monkey scene or something like that, where you could just say, maybe they should have scrapped the whole thing. Every building block is in place. I think that maybe it was built to be a safer house than the last one. Um, and maybe you know just as the armchair psychiatrists take on temple of doom is two guys going through really earth-shattering divorces and earth-shattering kind of reflections on where they're at in their careers you know star wars is over how do you top et let's just make something that's intentionally lesser and then you like and then there's the, the divorce feelings and temple of doom comes out of it but boy is it unique i don't know that this film so is. when a woman rips your heart out you rip the audience's heart out. I mean, look, I'm not going to argue with that as a, I'm not going to argue with that, that, you know, George and Steve walking on the beach one day, you know, Oh man, this divorce thing. It's so rough. I feel like my heart's getting ripped out. Wait, wait, let's get those writers on the phone. How about your heart? It, like, like it's not, it's not impossible. It's not the worst inspiration. Um, indeed, this movie built to be, and Indiana Jones juggernaut that capped the trilogy. And it did that. It did that very heartily. I remember, you know, and again, it had only been seven years, the the length of the trilogy. But, you know, when you're a kid, you know, 1989, I turned 14, um, you know, late that year, this was like half my life. This was, complete and total nostalgia oh indiana jones from my childhood i'm still a child has has ended here the roundness it, it was like going through return of the jedi again and of course there's the what we now know is the recency bias like oh the the latest one that comes out is you know great when you're a kid and then you're able to look back and you know obviously acknowledge what works what doesn't um but yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking Kingdom of the Crystal Skull next time. I am too, because at best slash worst, my suspicions from 2008, my feelings from 2008 will be reaffirmed by a, a, a wiser, more lived in Matt. Um, and if I'm wrong, then it'll be like, I mean, that experience of watching Temple of Doom a couple months ago where I could not believe I was watching an amazing Indiana Jones movie. And as I'm watching it, as I said on the podcast, you know, realizing my opinion is based on having been a different person, i.e. 10 years old and at my aunt's house and it's super scary and there's no, there's no like, you know, let me go and tell her I don't watch this anymore because we're being good guests and all, you know, all of that. 
leaving all this baggage behind and finding something beautiful. Pete, I hope that's the case with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in a couple of weeks. Well, speaking of something beautiful, Matt, that's what happens when people go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and help us out so that we can continue making something I hope they find beautiful. Indeed, uh, Pete, the entry to uh, patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Uh, you don't need to be penitent and watch out for buzzsaws. You don't need to step <laughs> carefully and watch out for uh, arbitrary holes in the ground. Um, indeed, Pete, maybe it is just a matter of faith. Do you place a dollar amount on the value that you get from fantastic geek week in and week out? Can we count on you to join our merry band? Uh, to help keep us listeners supported as there are those uh, those expenses throughout the year. Uh, if so, take that next step. Take that next click. Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. And if you cannot, you can always get yourself over to Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating or a review for the cost of nothing and uh, help us out. Pete, let's keep the conversation going, okay? The list just keeps keeps getting longer and longer. If somebody wants to talk Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, uh, or even thoughts on uh, DC Films, The Claim uh, by James Gunn in the last week on a, the Wired Autocorrect interview that Superman Legacy will start filming in January. Pete, that's with, who knows, there might not be actors available come then if there's an actor's strike. He, as a director, might not be able to direct if there's a director's strike, but... Pete, it's all happening. How can people be in touch with you to talk about all those things? Maybe they want to talk labor relations. I don't know. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,877 followers. Can't be wrong. Well, I'm personally on Twitter. It's looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today pete as you mentioned in a couple weeks time we'll be talking indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull the second highest grossing film of 2008 so maybe i did misunderstand it i don't know looking forward to that discussion for now though pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word i've heard this bedtime story before <laughs> <laughs>